If you are a gynecologist, I know you've had patients go to your office asking for new labia. I know that because it happens to me and it doesn't happen all that infrequently. If you're an OBGYN resident, get ready because they're coming to your practice. And if you're a medical student interested in obstetrics and gynecology, then this podcast also is for you because our job as physicians is to provide evidence-based care, minimize risk, and of course, adhere to guidelines from professional societies. In January of 2020, the ACOG will release a committee opinion number 795 on elective female cosmetic genital surgery. This includes labioplasty. What's going on here? Well, we're going to go over this information because it's a real issue. And depending on the patient's age, you could be criminally charged. So let's talk about that now. Both patient interest in and performance of cosmetic genital procedures have increased during the past decade. For example, labioplasty rates in the U.S. increased more than 50% just between 2014 and 2018. But at the same time, ethical and more recently safety concerns have been raised about the performance of cosmetic genital surgery. Listen to this. Just last year, in July of 2018, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued a warning against the use of energy-based devices, most commonly radiofrequency or laser-based, outside of standardized research protocols for cosmetic vaginal procedures that were called vaginal rejuvenating. This was because there was potential for serious adverse events, including vaginal burns, scarring, pain during sexual intercourse, and recurring or chronic pain issues. The FDA actually has not cleared or approved any energy-based medical devices for vaginal rejuvenation. So again, regardless of what's found online, the FDA has not approved any energy-based device for this indication. Nor have these devices been approved for the treatment of vaginal symptoms related to menopause, urinary incontinence, or sexual function. What seems to be driving this increase? Remember, we said there was a 50% increase in the demand for these procedures just over four years. Well, the ACOG and, of course, Common Opinion thinks we've figured this out. Shaving, waxing, electrolysis, and laser removal of pubic hair may allow for a better view of the external genitalia for both women and their partners. So in a cross-sectional study of more than 2,400 women that were the ages 18 to 68, who were in the U.S., 79% had partially or totally removed their pubic hair in the last month. This means that they are more vulnerable to interpret changes that are otherwise normal as abnormal. Also, the perception of having aesthetically inferior external genitalia augmented by the internet, online pornography, and other media sources may drive women to seek surgical alteration. Women who explore cosmetic surgery often turn to internet searches. Now, this is particularly important because the internet may be their only source of information, and that information can be terribly flawed. 
For example, a review of online content that promoted female genital cosmetic surgery found that sites that promoted these procedures regularly described wide variation of normal vulva appearance as unnatural or diseased and implied that variation beyond the prepubescent looking vulva, no pubic hair and limited vulva minora and a narrow vaginal opening, that anything outside of that could result in distress and sexual dysfunction. Of course, that's quite misleading and incorrect. Of equal importance are marketing claims that genital cosmetic surgery treats not only cosmetic issues, but functional issues as well, and that cosmetic surgery of the genital area can enhance sexual satisfaction. This is a good place to stop because we have to clarify something very important here. First of all, we have to make sure that it's the patient herself who seems to be bothered by this condition, and we have to assess whether this is purely a cosmetic issue or this does truly represent a need for correction of some functional abnormality. And the second thing we have to figure out is if the patient is not bothered by it, is she being urged on by her partner? Because that's another set of ethical issues. But first, let's clarify what we're talking about when we say female genital cosmetic surgery in this podcast and in the bulletin. This refers to surgical alteration of the vulvovaginal anatomy intended for cosmesis, for looks alone in women who have no apparent structural or functional abnormality. Genital cosmetic surgery is not referring to procedures that are necessary for clinical indications. In other words, for labial hypertrophy that bothers with normal activities or with sports or with intercourse or, for example, interferes with urination. These are not the same thing as female elective cosmetic surgery. Also, it is important to clarify that this does not refer to reversing prior female genital mutilation or cutting. That is a different indication and that can be medically indicated. For the purposes of this podcast, again, this is strictly for cosmesis or to improve sexual function. All right, when we come back, we're going to get into what exactly does female genital cosmetic surgery entail and what are those outcomes? Let's take a look at that next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Female genital cosmetic surgery is a broad term that includes things like labioplasty, clitoral hood reduction, hymenoplasty, labia majora augmentation, vaginoplasty, and G-spot amplification. Aside from labioplasty, it's difficult to know how often these procedures are being performed. Lack of published studies and standardized nomenclature related to female genital cosmetic surgical procedures and their outcomes translates to a lack of clear information on the incidence, prevalence, and limited data on risks and benefits. In general, the safety and effectiveness of these elective procedures have not been well described, and evidence largely is restricted to clinical case reports and retrospective studies. So it's important that we tell our patients who are interested in this, strictly for cosmesis, that there just is not a lot of data on outcome. 
Now, of those just listed, labioplasty is the most common performed cosmetic genital surgical procedure, and there's a wide variety of techniques that have been described. Remember, this does not apply to women who have true functional problems with their labia, that they can't ride a bike, they can't go jogging, interferes with their daily activities. That's different. Again, remember, this is strictly talking about cosmetic approaches. We need to address this a little bit more because it is the most common procedure and there are some true medical indications as we've already reviewed. But in responding to a patient's concern about the appearance of her external genitalia, the OBGYN and other women's healthcare provider needs to reassure her that the size, shape, color of the external genitalia vary considerably from woman to woman. These variations are further modified by pubertal maturity, aging, anatomical changes resulting from childbirth, and atrophic changes associated with menopause or hypoestrogenism. Although labia minora longer than 30 to 40 millimeters is currently marketed as being hypertrophic, in a study of 657 adolescent and adult females, the mean length of the labia minora, this is measured from the clitoris to the lower margin of the labia, exceeded that estimate in more than 50% of individuals. Measurements of the external genitalia must be interpreted on an individual basis, and age-related differences in the length of the labia minora do vary greatly. So a part of our job as gynecologists, as physicians, is patient education that every person, every woman, and every genitalia is indeed different. Also, the ACOG makes this great note. Although patients often believe female genital cosmetic surgery will improve sexual function, current evidence does not support improvement in that or in overall body image. It doesn't seem to increase libido or sexual satisfaction. Concerns regarding sexual satisfaction may be addressed by careful evaluation for any sexual dysfunction, body dysmorphic disorders, and an exploration of non-surgical interventions, including patient counseling, when applicable. When we come back, we're going to wrap this up by talking now on the vaginal canal. Remember, we just covered the external genitalia or labioplasty. But what about procedures that focus on the vaginal canal? These are marketed to improve sexual function and are usually termed vaginal rejuvenation. What does ACOG say about that? Well, let's get into that next. Vaginal rejuvenation is a proprietary term meant to encompass perineurophy, vaginoplasty, or both as a technique to reduce the diameter of the vagina, strengthen the perineal body, and enhance sexual function. The surgical technique used is very similar, if not identical, to anterior or posterior coporophy and often is combined with perineoplasty. Another method for treating vaginal laxity, described as vaginal rejuvenation or rugation restoration, involves the use of CO2 laser to create vaginal rugae in women in whom absent or decreased vaginal rugation has been diagnosed. But there's scant information on this outcome, and lasers can have their own problems. Remember that recently there was an FDA warning, as we discussed earlier in this podcast, regarding these procedures. A 2012 prospective observational study of vaginal rugation restoration included only 10 women who underwent the procedure, making it quite difficult to draw conclusions. And again, remember, you can always look up the FDA's 2018 safety communication that warned about the use of these energy-based devices without sufficient data. 
Now, here's the scary part. You've got to be aware of female genital mutation, 18 USC, because it's a federal law. Labioplasty in young girls younger than 18 should be considered only in those with significant congenital malformation or persistent symptoms that the physician believes are caused directly by labial anatomy or both, and this requires extensive patient counseling and documentation. Surgical alteration of the labia that is not necessary to the health of the patient who is younger than age 18 is a violation of federal criminal law. So let's say that again. If this is purely elective and the patient is under 18 and there's no true functional or anatomical concern here, that violates federal criminal law. At least half of the states also have laws criminalizing labioplasty under certain circumstances, and some of these laws apply to minors and adults. So OBGYNs need to be very aware of federal and state laws that affect this and similar procedures in adolescence. Well, it's happened to me, and it happens not that infrequently. Women come in saying they don't like the appearance of their vulva, specifically their labia, although there's no real other functional concern. Yeah, it happens. So I'm glad the ACOG is releasing this updated committee opinion in 2020, just in January, because the last bulletin before this was in September 2017. So yeah, it's been a little while. Nonetheless, we're glad that you're part of our podcast family. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.